MMM Podcast, in partnership with Boundless, presents The Future is Boundless. Today's episode, Francesco Lucarelli, partner, chief commercial officer, Boundless Life Sciences Group. If we can get our trial enrollment to be more inclusive, to look more like the real world by doing some of this analysis earlier on, not only are the companies going to be better off for it, but ultimately when that product hits market, it mitigates some of that skepticism of, well, I don't really know if that's going to play itself out in the real market. And Steve Mitchell, Chief Commercial Strategist, Boundless Commercial Consulting. As marketing people, we're all about differentiation. We're just now layering the other element within a positioning dynamic of motivation. Here's your host, Steve Madden. Francesco, Steve, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate you uh, making the journey. We're going to talk about something that's very fundamental to the medical marketing community, and that is what happens when you've got a new product, whether it's a drug or a molecule or a piece of equipment or a wearable or anything, and you're, you need to start to bring it to market because you need to start to realize uh, some cash flow for this product. And yet it's not quite there. So the money's not pouring in. You're, you're dealing with like something that you absolutely have to have versus, you know, I guess you could call it like constrained resources, sure. right? So it's a tough spot to be in. Um, you guys are, are specialists in helping people deal with this. Steve, I have to think that you're sitting on top of a pile of analytical data. How do you use that? How do you put that to work to help people start making this transition? So Steve, you're right. I mean, it is a critical variable for any organization in order to optimize a product's labeling with FDA give it the greatest opportunity to differentiate within space. The earlier the analytics are overlaid at a market level, I stress that market level, because a lot of organizations will do brand level analysis at the very beginning for obvious reasons. Their brand, they have ownership of it, and ultimately they want to leverage as much information as possible. We always encourage the client to look broadly at the market level that takes into consideration all elements associated with promotional activities of all the brands within a therapeutic area. Under those circumstances, what we're really driving at and really the essence of what marketing is all about, satisfying target audience unmet needs. But the precursor to that is to obviously understand what do they want? What are the unmet needs? So it sounds very obvious, yeah. but under a lot of circumstances with industry elements that we get involved with, and it doesn't matter if it's startup or top 10 pharma group, the essence of really understanding what drives preference at a target audience level, and it could be doctor, could be patient, could be both under a lot of different circumstances, we really want to understand what does the doctor want out of the drug that's coming to market that hasn't been fulfilled in his clinical armamentarium in order to treat the appropriate patient within therapeutic area? Sounds simple. Sounds simple. You know, we, we have developed a, a hybrid dynamic, in my opinion, that over the last 25 to 30 years of industry experience that 
Francesco and I both have. We've started on the client side. It evolved to agency consulting kind of work. But the bottom line is, is that the hybrid dynamic that I think we've uncovered and we now, in my opinion, have almost perf perfected is an offering to the client <clears throat> allows the client uh, to spend some money. We're not talking about breaking the bank. Uh, under these circumstances, thus the application, no matter if it's a small company or really, really big company, we're not talking about breaking the bank one way or the other. But the analytics, and it's a quantitative form of market analytics mm -hmm. that we've created with other partners that we have in the industry uh, to give us that read of if I have to prioritize what somebody is telling a doctor top to bottom, let's say that there's 200 clinical claims in a therapeutic area, I should be able to go to an analytics spreadsheet and understand what's the most important all the way down to what's the least important when it's all said and done. Francesco, does this hold true for a company regardless of size, like big to small? It, it truly does, Stephen. What's interesting about what you had alluded to that Steve earlier mentioned of the simplicity of it, right? The, the beauty of it is the simplicity of it. The complex nature of it is what's behind the envelope of it's not as simple as it sounds. Uh, what we've also learned, and, and I'll, I'll leverage what Steve mentioned, you know, 25, 30 plus years of experience understanding the element that regardless of a company's size, there are oftentimes those transition points or those handoff points where these things are falling into the ether, falling into the void. And what we have been doing now at Boundless, and this is why I'm really excited about introducing commercial consulting and Steve really leading that charge for us, is it brings in a companion service arm to the broader services within Boundless Life Sciences to engage these clients earlier in development. So this is sort of a sub-practice, you know, you guys call it boundless commercial consulting. That's correct. Right. Exactly. It's, it's a, if you think of it in the sort of upstream mentality, it's the ability to actually partner with clients earlier in the development process. And earlier is always better, right? Especially when you're talking about these <clears throat> simplistic type discussions, the sooner these happen, the better. As Steve just mentioned, you know, you look at, let's say, a complex therapeutic category in a CNS field, for example, where there could be 100 to 200 different sort of items that a client needs to really evaluate and understand what are the appreciable metrics here that matter to not only the decision making on the physician side, but to the patient and even the payer. And if there is not a way early on to understand the prioritization of those, the hierarchy of those, how a product does or doesn't attach to it in terms of its TPP or its, its, you know, its profile itself, that's going to have downstream implications to research, development, messaging, content. Once you ultimately get into your core agency services, you, know, you could be tail leading the dog at that point. Right. And so the, the, the application of the commercial consulting earlier on is to help mitigate that to infuse it, as Steve said, analytically driven, but also ultimately insight driven so that when those handoffs occur or when that bridge occurs between the clinical development team and the commercial team, they're all on the same path. Right. We've lived back our, our old lives and won't say when and where, but we've lived experiences on the commercial side where we get handed something from, you know, the clinical development side. And it's like, all right, good luck. And you're going. <laughs> Yeah. What am I going to do with this? So, so that sounds like it's one of the pitfalls, right? I said, I, I was kind of joking when I said, it sounds simple, <laughs> but you know, we all know, and anyone listening to this knows that it's, it's not simple. 
What are some of the pitfalls? I mean, if you guys got this experience and you're running a consulting group, clearly you've got um, a, a, a checklist of stuff like let's avoid these issues. Let's talk about a few of them. I'll start with a couple and then Steve, please fill sure, in. Sure. Number one is is the timing, right? The idea that these these type of decisions and these type of analyses should be done early on in the clinical development process and or even prior to completing clinical study designs. That's the first pitfall. Oftentimes groups wait until they're, you know, well into phase three to even begin to have these conversations. So that's number one. Number two is that idea of even if there is not a fully established commercial team in place, getting the input from someone with a commercial lens in that early stage to at least provide some insight as to market dynamics are going to be looking for this or seeking this. You guys should be considering these things. Those are two of the biggest pitfalls, but I know there are others. Yeah, you know, there, there are certainly disciplined silo dynamics that occur very early in product development, i.e. if I'm in early phase two of clinical development, under a lot of circumstances, medical affairs or clinical development feels as though it's theirs and they need to hold on to it. These are clinical endpoints that we're pursuing. I think we always encourage a, a more synergistic integration right. across the disciplines so that we have the appropriate overlap of market analytics. We don't want to lose the science. I mean, that's what it's all about when it's all said and done. But we just want to overlay the analytics to say, understand the science. Let's quantify at market level. Because remember, Steve, when it's all said and done, this is about optimally launching a brand, creating a brand performance of capturing dominant market share, generating profitability for the organization. So the sooner those teams start that integration sequence and as early as possible in clinical development, the better that brand actually is through its entire life cycle. Well, it sounds almost, it sounds, I mean, it's highly intuitive that it makes sense that it's like, it can't just be like, check out this bitchin' molecule that I got, right? It can't just be like that. Yep. So, you know, it sounds highly intuitive that of course you would start talking early, but we all know in organizations, bigger or, the bigger the organization, the more likely it is to be this way, that, that there isn't like an optimal amount of communication. As part of your consultancy, what do you tell a client about like, listen, here's how you guys, here's, here's how the different parts of the team can start working together sooner. Yeah, I'll jump in initially. And I know, Steve, there's other things here to consider as well. Sure. It, it goes back to one of the earlier points you also mentioned, Steve, about where is that company at its life cycle? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I bring it back to that point is you just made an interesting point, right? Bigger organizations tend to have resources that smaller organizations don't have. Bigger organizations, you would think intuitively, to use your word, would go in that direction. But oftentimes what we've seen and what we experience is the bigger organizations are the ones that have more of the true siloed mentality. So with those type clients and, and potential partners, it's a difference of what we're trying to communicate to them is breaking down the walls. It's more about cross collaboration and communication. Flip that to a startup, an emerging company, a smaller group. They're now truly at the point where they don't have the subspecialization of staff, but their shortfalls oftentimes are in cash. And so when mm, they're looking right. at some of these things, they're like, well, heck, how do we do this without all of the stockpile of dollars behind it? And so what we try and calculate for those clients is there are ways to do it cost effectively and efficiently. You may not be able to do it A to Z, but you know what? Doing it 
A to F is a lot better than not doing it at all. And so we have means of going in there with setting up for them uh, using analytics, but in a cost effective and also using some of the machine based tools that Steve alluded to a little bit earlier that we're trying now to, to really enhance to, to make those things cost effective and seamless. So an obvious question. Uh, you've got these analytics. How do you use them? What, what, how do you advise people um, on, again, which analytics and how do you interpret them? Because, you know, any kind of numerical data is only as good as your ability to interpret it, right? Agreed. And any information that ultimately we get from market research, you know, we're, we're big with the stance of we have to optimize what goes into the market research first. You know, it's the old thought process, garbage in, garbage, garbage out. out. It doesn't yeah. really matter right. uh, what the methodology dynamic actually is when it's all said and done. So, you know, as a consulting division now of Boundless, we're very aggressive about the overall mission of the group is very aggressive about evidence-based. We were groomed on evidence-based philosophies. Now, the words are easy to use, but it's usually very difficult in order to justify at a client level. So, an example of it, yeah. as we dive into creating the market analytics to feed the market research, it probably takes us a couple of months of optimizing the review of the market landscape, whether it be through competitive intelligence, through it, whether it be through public sources. And we actually dig pretty deep on the end on the side of clinicals with NIH PubMed and a variety of other data sets that ultimately we dive into, that accumulation dynamic then ultimately ends up feeding the research. So now to the exact question, Steve, uh -huh. of how is it used, we begin that process of evaluating once we understand market level clinical claims and overall importance of those, which by the way, we've infused the clinical claims of the base brand that we're actually working on for the client as well. It's not in the market yet, but we've already started that process of speculating on what those outcomes may or may not be from a clinical perspective. We end up even generating a simulator dynamic on the back end for inferential analysis out of this market research that gives you the opportunity to go in and evaluate fulfillment of attributes versus unfulfillment of attributes up against five other compounds in the sequence. So in doing so, remember with the ultimate goal being, what is the financial payoff for right. the organization? That's where we're going sooner or later. That's the end result, no matter who the discipline is. So under those circumstances with the inferential analysis that we can do via the simulator dynamics, after the magnitude of information has been accumulated, it allows us to get to the point of, Where's our greatest point of differentiation for the brand? Francesco mentioned, you know, positioning dynamics, TPPs associated with product. As marketing people, we're all about differentiation. We're just now layering the other element within a positioning dynamic of motivation. So the higher the relative importance of the attribute to the overall target audience, greater the motivation that the doctor is going to be interested to use. And if we're the only brand that fulfills that unmet need, we have an anchoring dynamic that's definitely going to drive market share. So the bottom line is, is that the back end of this sequence, 
and there's a variety of different disciplines that are involved with it. We haven't got to that yet, but with the variety of disciplines that feed this dynamic and with the back-end analysis that comes out of the market research, the clinical team, the commercial team, the market analytics team has the ability to sit with senior management and rationalize through that scenario analysis dynamic via the simulator pieces that are available to say, this is what we should be pursuing. This is why we should be pursuing. We've checked the boxes off on the market analytics. And now we've also checked the boxes off on the clinical side to say, can we fulfill that attribute or not? For the English majors in the audience, what's inferential analysis? Scenario planning, oh. basically. So it's a what if, basically. When it's, it's, it's just a phrase you use when you're in front of your investors, I guess, to make you sound smarter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, he's not just a pretty we, face. We, we he's, got, he's got to keep these things rolling. We don't, we, we don't have to use that I mean, if you don't want to. <laughs> no, it's okay. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> the beautiful thing about it, though, Steve, is when you, when you bring all this together back to some of the thing that we mentioned very early on, the sooner you engage in doing this an analysis, the better off for the entirety of the organization. Because as you imagine going through this at various stages of development, if you're later closer to commercialization, great. This helps you batten down the hatches on what you're actually going to go to market with, whether that's pre-launch, launch phase, all that. Fantastic. Dial it back a little bit earlier, even while you're still in clinical trial development or enrollment, this can actually feed into what is the trial design? What are some of these inclusion, exclusion criteria that should be considered? What are some of the PROs that might have been missed if not for taking a look at this? And as we've all heard now very recently, right? Clinical trials versus real world evidence oftentimes are night and day different. Right. And if we can get our trial enrollment to be more inclusive, to look more like the real world by doing some of this analysis earlier on, not only are the companies going to be better off for it, but ultimately when that product hits market, it mitigates some of that skepticism of, well, I don't really know if that's going to play itself out in the real market. So, you know, you guys make the point um, quite rightly that it's smart to get started on everything, bringing everything together er as early in the process as possible, right? But I, I have to imagine that everything that you do, it's not just a closed system, right? At some point, you need to go outside and bring in some expert, expert help. How does that work? Yeah, you know, we, we would normally, after we've dug deep into generating the information to put into the market research, we would normally do a gut check, uh, normally with the clients, key opinion leaders, their senior advisory board physicians uh, that are actually advising them on what the brand should be and why. Now, it's an interesting balance, at least in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about this, Francesco, but you know the, the upper echelon key opinion leaders are what they are. They're upper echelon key opinion leaders that are deep into science, maybe even beyond the common practitioner within that specialty area. Uh -huh. However, given the fact that we're so early in clinical development, it's absolutely critical that we have that level of expertise to consider all those dynamics in order to make the right decisions. But we do normally have a tendency to balance it. Usually the client will have other market analytics going on at the same time, even if they're early in development, i.e. an ATU analysis as a baseline or just general market dynamic overviews about what the 
treatment algorithm actually is for this area. So we like to take into consideration key opinion leaders, senior advisory board groups, senior management's going to weigh in, especially based upon they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. And the smaller the organization, the fewer the products in the portfolio, the heavier the lift is going to come from senior management on what those critical decisions are. And certainly with the CCO, the CMO, as well as the CFO on the back end for all the financial modeling and forecasting pieces, which by the way, we do those as well with the client if ultimately they want to do that. We usually get a heavy weigh in of senior management, C-suite and even beyond. And I will take it one step further, not to say not in agreement with that, but, but and not a but that value of going out and also getting the reality-based checks from beyond just clinicians, but also patients. And, and depending on the disease state, especially when you consider things like rare disease, going out to advocacy groups, because oftentimes their stakeholder input, as we've seen with recent approvals, if it weren't for those advocacy groups, some of these drugs wouldn't have even gotten beyond the FDA That's bridge. more you're talking about rare, rare disease exactly, in particular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we, we work with those groups as well because even at that, at that early phase, again, it's just as instrumental to understand what is it that, that that group, which are so, as we all know, extremely passionate. I mean, they live and die literally for these conditions and for their, their spouses or children or whatnot, you know, it's, it's absolutely instrumental that we, we hear from them early in this process right. too, because they give us a, that, that next level set. And um, just as a reinforcement, you know, we can do this analysis for both target audiences, absolutely, not just physician, but also for patient. And we've done that simultaneously. So that on the back end, not only can you tell what motivates one group versus the other, but you can find the commonality dynamics that are most important to both target audiences. That ends up driving the compatibility of pre-positioning work, message dynamics, so on and so forth, so that both audiences are on the same page from the very, very beginning. So there's a lot of synergy dynamics that actually go in there. I'd like to get a little bit nitty gritty if we could. What you're talking about makes perfect sense, right? But anybody who's ever worked in an organization, be it a large one or a small one, understands that every organization is composed of tribes, right? Um, and sometimes those tribes are, are really good at communicating and working together. And sometimes they get used the word earlier, siloed. Uh, they get siloed and they can be turfy, right? So if you're trying to get the clinical and the commercial to start working together as early in the process as possible, what are some practical tips that you would advise people to, to consider? I mean, beyond breaking bread and, you know, a, a fine cigar or, or bourbon, uh, you know, which is always a great starter. I'll sign up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reality of it, I'm going to give you a simplistic answer because we've kind of started some of this discussion with the, the, the simplicity of these things. It really comes down to showing any group the whiffum for them, right? And we've done just that. Um, I'll try and be vague in with, terms of with the him, example. By the way, if you're if you're uh, listening at home, with him is what's in it for me. Correct, correct. I, I don't have my my, my playbook. <laughs> I apologize for that. But but literally breaking it down for each independent group. Um, I'll try and be vague without disclosing anything of a recent tr situation we've been in, where it was clinical market research or or their in-house analytics group and commercial. Very much, I'll use your tribalism mentality. They were all in their own space. 
uh, and we were approaching them with this construct and with this service offering, but each group was kind of going into their own direction. So independently, we sat down with each of them to tell them, this is what you are going to ultimately get out of this and be able to take away for your superiors, etc., etc. So each of them had a slightly different end goal. So it was almost like looking through a, a uh, crystal, right? The different, uh, or prism. The prism, so yeah. The prism. Yeah. You know, depending on which side you're looking at it, you see something different. And so when we expose them to that, that's sort of that aha moment where clinical goes, oh, I get it. This isn't just a marketing thing. Or the analytics guy goes, oh, I get it. This isn't just a commercial driver vehicle. This is actually going to help me plan out the rest of my market research analysis for the next year. Oh, so the lights went on. Um, so I don't want to say it's that easy, but ultimately it comes down to if you convince the relative gatekeeper or stakeholder, what is it that you're going to help them accomplish that's ultimately going to make their life a little bit easier or, or frictionless? That's where we see the teams actually come together. Right. So I'd like to use a metaphor, maybe and I might be belaboring this, so I hope you'll bear with me. But what it seems like is that a lot of these enterprises are, you know, you can think of them as um, the liberal arts building at a college, right? And down one end, you've got the, the painters and the musicians and the English majors. And then down the other end, you've got the analytics guys and the scientists, right? Somebody from either end of the building needs to meet in the middle uh, and at, in the cafeteria and be able to, like, the people down in the, the artsy wing need to be able to talk to the people in the science wing and vice versa, right? It's usually the psych major. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Next time I design a liberal arts building, I'll know exactly where to, where to put what departments. Indeed. But, um, but how do you do that? Like, how do you actually facilitate that? conversation so a lot of entry points for me in the past for this kind of work and let me just stress this kind of work isn't just for the early phase of clinical development which i think i had mentioned a little bit earlier it carries itself through the entire life cycle and the rationale for that is is that let's say the life cycle is 12 to 15 years for patent life for any typical sort of brand during that time period, there are new drugs introduced, there are new clinical claims introduced, there are new market dynamics that are introduced. And ultimately, if that analysis isn't refreshed, and we encourage it every two years in order to optimize an insight on, are we still on track? Are there additional elements of differentiation that we need to be pursuing? We're even at a point, Steve, where clinical should be thinking about 3B trials after FDA gives approval. Mm -hmm. So under those circumstances, this is a leverageable tool through the entire life cycle. Okay. With that ultimately said, the transitional element for people to buy into this, I've experienced personally, a couple of different ways to Francesco's suggestion, where we put people in the room together. That's usually the, the best turning point. It's spearheaded normally through commercial because commercial gets it almost immediately and they tend to be the ones who are driving like they're, they're driving it at that point but we want to institute a partnership dynamic early an early synergistic integration of multiple disciplines in the organization because we know if it gets instilled early in clinical development it's going to carry itself all the, all the way through the life cycle. And in doing so, 
you have a much better chance of optimizing that brand performance because the internal culture now is already integrated as early as possible. So the, the one element that I've always seen is, let's put them in the room, let's make sure the commercial spearheads it, but it's within the partnership and the overall objective of, we just wanna optimize the brand, we wanna optimize what's out, coming out of the clinical development, we wanna optimize that FDA package insert that I'm gonna get from this information in order to promote the brand. That's sort of the overall goal. And that optimization of it makes it almost a habit that then you get into muscle memory. And that's again, going back to where's the life cycle of a company. The earlier in an emerging company or a smaller company or a startup company, when they do that, it becomes their discipline and their working model going forward. So that becomes habit. When you're going into a, a larger organization, it is a little bit more challenging to sometimes break older habits or ingrain them with different thinking. But again, it's still the same tenets. You get them together. You understand what each discipline is going to learn or gain from it. You build the trust and it goes from there. The bottom line is, is that that last that additional venue in order to really integrate the groups together in a better way, if indeed there's paradigms built within the organization about how people are thinking. Usually a little bit of a touch at a senior management level, which we get involved with all the time, whether it be at C-suites, whether it be down underneath at vice president levels that have portfolio responsibilities of brands, the intuitive thinking around the analytics, it's there. Once we start through to walk through the, the depth of the evidence-based analysis, that we jump into and the multitude of disciplines that ultimately integrate for that input, for that research. Usually at a VP level, the VP usually says, well, yeah, I want it for this drug. I want it for this drug. I want it for this drug. You know, it just becomes a very intuitive type of dynamic. Yeah. Um, because you can't beat good analytics. You simply cannot. There it is. And it's funny that you came back to that because Francesco and I have always talked, you know, the mission as we've started to integrate around commercial consulting, our mission dynamic is all about analytics. We don't do subjectivity kind of analysis where we'll bring a group into a room and sit around and speculate on what we think we know. We either know and if we don't know, then we would normally encourage the client to go out and get some information or build the appropriate market research elements in order to bring the right information. And that, that speaks to, to another point for us. Our footprint is broad when we do strategic planning. You know, certainly we do it with commercial. There's no doubt about that one. But we also do market research, market analytic planning for the brand. And we do medical affairs planning. Everything from three to five year clinical development pieces that might be the phase three B trials uh, associated with the product after approval up to all the operational elements around annual brand planning for the for the coming year. Right. 
up to including further indication analysis, things of that nature. And even at the corporate level, we've done work with helping companies with their JP Morgan presentations going out there fundraising. So that level of analytics is, I like what you said, it's the uh, proverbial red thread that kind of goes through sure. everything here. Yeah. The, the additional piece to that that I think is very intriguing is I like to also liken this back to a genuine sense of curiosity. And the reason why I bring that up is, you know, we've all experienced it where there's far too many folks that you go in a room with them and they're like, well, I know this, I know that I've been in this industry 20 years. And the minute they start saying, I know, I know, I know the next question you ask them, that's the layer deep. The response always comes back. Well, I think this is what in the minute I hear that, that's when I know, all right, this is this is a monumental moment where you need to shift your mind space. Right. But the folks that aren't willing to be curious, that genuinely don't say, I, I want to find that out. Are they, well, if I think this, that's the direction we're going, that's likely not going to be the ones that uh, are going to want to sign up for this type of activity. So, you know, like I said, you know, the evidence-based phrasing, I think, is a simple one. Everybody likes to use sure. it under different circumstances. I think the other element that certainly brings differentiation around the consulting side and Boundless as an organization is the level of experience, because we've worked on so many brands, whether they be rare disease or whether they be 10 million patient, 20 million patient size in the United States, that the critical levers that ultimately differentiate and move market share, regardless if it's a highly competitive market space or it's market space that, quote unquote, doesn't have any competition at all, which I'm always worried about, you know, you and I have always talked about this, you know, unless there's absolutely nothing being used for any patient, whatever was being used, regardless of indication dynamic, is competition, at least as far as we're concerned. Off-label be damned. That's yeah, exactly correct. Right. But you would be shocked with, you know, some of the pushback that you might end up getting. We don't know if that's a corporate rhetoric dynamic internally or if they actually do believe it from a market dynamic perspective. But the bottom line is, is that that evidence-based gets overlaid with the appropriate experience dynamics of the levers that we know because of what we are and what we've done and the level of experience on the client side for commercial, what moves brand. Right. And that's a critical element of differentiation. A lot of people want to say, you know, I'm all about the experience level and that's what I actually am. We actually put it to test on a day-to-day -day basis. So last question, guys, uh, and I'd like each one of you to answer this. Um, we all know that medical marketing is, is it's a hard game, right? What's your one best piece of advice for medical marketers today, like right now? For me, as the end result being optimizing P&L, because that's why they go to work on right. a day-to-day. -day. Optimizing P&L. The critical anchor underneath optimizing P&L for any brand is clinical differentiation. Clinical differentiation that ultimately fulfills critical unmet needs or driver analysis associated with audience. If I put those two simple pieces together, even if I'm not very good at what I do, once that offering goes out the door to the audience, the audience says, it's what I want. And number two, you're the only one that gives it to me one way or the other. So the ultimate quest, in my opinion, for medical marketing 
should be. I'm going to generate the greatest amount of clinical data set that fulfills the most important need to the target audience in the most differentiated clinical manner that I can actually provide my commercial team with. So can't disagree with any of that. And in short, I'll try and go a little bit more philosophical to answer that question. I think the biggest piece of advice to give to anybody right now today, regardless of department, commercial, analytics, ClinDev, wherever you might be, MetaFairs, the minute you think you know everything is when the train goes right by you. <laughs> and and it sounds very simple, but it's true. Um, I, I love learning. I love finding out something new. You mentioned it. You know, this game that we do is not easy. Um, but that's what keeps me engaged is trying to learn more stuff every day. The amount of clients I've come in contact with over 30 years now that when they say they know this market well enough, it's the minute they're watching their competitors passing by. So that's the biggest piece of advice I give anybody, wherever they're at in their career, just starting out 20 years in, you got to be hungry. You got to be curious to know what else is out there. And that's where analytics and insight development truly comes from. Lifelong learning. That's a great place to stop. Um, you guys, Steve and Francesco, have been great. This has been a really interesting conversation. Appreciate it. Really appreciate you guys coming in. Thank great you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks a lot.